Well, worry causes our breath to shorten and to shallow. It causes our blood pressure to spike. Our stomachs to turn and to churn. Our hearts to pound. Our minds to race seemingly everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. Robbing us of our sleep our physical and mental health, our time, our energy, and so much more. Worry and anxiety have a rather profound effect upon each of our lives, including my own. It's a rather strange predicament to find yourself worried and anxious about a sermon on worry and anxiousness. But more than just our lives, worry and stress is also having a profound effect upon our culture at large. Last year, one in five Americans were diagnosed with an anxiety disorder of some variety. The numbers are all the more harrowing for our teenage population, as nearly half of them are wrestling with persistent feelings of sadness, hopelessness, or depression. Observing the growing trend of our worry, anxiety, and fear in the West, secular sociologist Frank Ferretti writes, why Americans fear more when they have far less to fear than in other moments in the past is a question that puzzles numerous scholars. In other words, he and his colleagues are seeing this growing trend, yet they can't quite make sense of it. Because between the deadbolts, between the security systems, the insurance, advances in our health care and technology, we've never been as safe and secure as we are today. Yet stress, anxiety, and worry ravage much of our society in various ways and to various degrees. The secular explanation for this is essentially the more you have, the more you have to lose. Therefore, less is more. And perhaps there's some degree of intelligence to that idea, but I would argue there's a deeper issue at work here. That having lost our fear, our reverence of God, we've become afraid of everything else. That rather than simply minimizing our possessions, what we really need is to maximize our God which is really just seeing God for who he truly is. So tonight we come, we continue our sermon series called The Battles Before Us, a study on the respectable sins, the glittering vices that so easily entangle and deceive us along this journey of this life of faith. And tonight we come to the sin of unbelief. Simply put, unbelief, is an unwillingness to take God at his word. And Romans 1 lays out for us the rather grim, temporal, and eternal trajectory that unbelief has upon the life of the unbeliever. But how does unbelief manifest itself in the life of the believer? And to be sure, we can all struggle our way through seasons and times of doubt. But in my experience, the seas of doubt are often fed and fueled by the streams and the tributaries of our worry. 
worries that we allow to flow unhindered through our minds and hearts, enabling them to gain momentum and force as they crash up against our affections, our assurance, and our lives. So in our worry, in our doubt, in this age of anxiety, what does our God give to us, his people? His word. He frees us from the bonds of our worry and anxiety through the life-freeing assurance of his word. The question then is, are we listening to God's word? And if we are, are we taking God at his word? Which is a question that haunted Father Abraham like it haunts us. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. And I want us to look at two quick things from our text tonight. Why do we struggle to take God at his word? And second, why we can take God at his word. So hear now the word of the Lord. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you were able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. The flower fades and falls, but the word of our God endures forever. Thanks be to God. First thing we're going to look at from this passage is why we struggle to take God at his word. Our passage begins with this phrase, after these things, which is the Hebrew way of saying that some time has passed, that some water has flowed under the bridge of Abram's life, which is crucial crucial to understanding the context of our story. Because in Genesis 11, we're introduced to a man named Abram and to his wife, Sarai. But as we're introduced to them, We are also introduced to their struggle and perhaps the deepest heartbreak of their lives. That Sarai, his wife, is barren. That she can have no children. And the text of Genesis 11 is rather emphatic on that point. to, To showcase that it is here, it is into this deep place of longing, sorrow, and heartbreak that God backs up the dump truck of his glory and grace. And pours out upon them his incredible promises in Genesis chapter 12. Calling Abram to leave behind all that he has ever known and ever loved. And to go to a place that the Lord would show him. Because in that great place the Lord was going to make Abram into a great nation. And through that nation the Lord is going to bless the world. And by faith Abram takes God at his word. And he goes. He leaves behind the comforts of country and culture and family. 
and he embarks into the great unknown. Yet as we come to our passage tonight, over a decade has passed since their journey with the Lord began. And there have been no children, and Abram owns no land, and God has, yet, and God has shown himself faithful in other areas and in other ways, yet 10 years is an awfully long time. And while his location has changed, his predicament has not. He continues to wait on the promises of God to be fulfilled. So in the anguish of his waiting, Abram cries out to the Lord in verse 2, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And before the, the Lord can get a word in edgewise, Abram begins again in verse 3 with yet another complaint to the Lord, saying, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Abram is wrestling with God about God's promises to him. God had given Abram his promise amidst his pain and frustration, but as of yet, God had not delivered him from out of his pain and frustration. So Abram finds himself living in a gap. The gap between the giving of God's promises and the fulfillment of them. That God's promises are this, but his experience is this. The question is, how does Abram and how do we faithfully navigate the awkward in between? For it is in this gap that Abram begins to worry fear, and doubt God's word, to like Eve in the garden begin to wonder, did God really say? And the same can be true of us. To be sure, in Christ, the promises of God has become a person, Jesus Christ. And in him, we enjoy the fulfillment of so many of God's great and glorious and gracious promises. Yet clearly, we are not home yet. That while eternity has already begun for us in Christ Jesus, we must continue to navigate a broken and heartbreaking world. A world and lives that are not as it should be. From chronic pain and suffering and illness to infertility and tragic losses, wayward children and all kinds of failures to broken relationships abuse, blocked and unfulfilled dreams, and so much more. Life in this world is not as it should be. And the tonic of time certainly cannot heal all wounds. There are struggles, there are frustrations, there is pain and sorrow and suffering that just seems to stick to us, that just seems to abide with our every step. And in those moments, in those spaces and places, there is a struggle to take God at his word. And that struggle with worry and doubt is within all of us to varying degrees. And my question is, where are you taking that struggle? Are you stuffing it within, letting it abide beneath the surface of your life as it slowly but surely eats away at your assurance? Are you seeking to numb or inoculate yourself to this struggle through endless entertainment, worldly pursuits, endeavors, purchases, scrolling, or just being perpetually busy? 
already looking to the hedonistic pleasures of food and drink or other substances? Or are you following in the footsteps of our forefather Abram and taking our struggle to trust God to God himself who amazingly doesn't just invite us to bring our struggles to him but he actually enters into our struggle with us which leads us to our second point why we can take God at his word. And from our text, I want us to see two remarkable reasons. First, because our God is gracious. And second, because our God is glorious. First, because we have a God who is gracious. A God who graciously enters into our struggles. We don't serve a God who is distant and unaware of the struggles of his children. What's clear from our passage is that the Lord knows exactly where Abram is struggling and what he's struggling with. God knows Abram's pressure points. He knows the tender and painful places of Abram's heart and life. So in verse one, he pokes him. He seems to hit on all of Abram's fears and worries in one verse. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Remember, children, particularly male children, were the safety net. The shield, the social and physical security of the ancient world. Yet Abram had no children. He had no son, no heir, and therefore the twilight of his life was looking awfully precarious. So Abram has no shield. And as far as a reward, remember in Genesis 14, Abram defeats Ketelomer, I think that's how you say that, and the other kings, yet he refuses the spoils of war leaving it instead for the king of Sodom, lest he say that he had made Abram great. So here in verse one, the Lord is kicking the hornet's nest or the anthill of Abram's life, knowing that in response, all of Abram's worries and fears and doubts will come streaming to the surface, which is exactly what we find pouring out of him in verses two and three. Yet God's response to Abram's fear And doubt is not disappointment. It's not disapproval. But to once again remind and reassure him of the promises of God. Because we have a God who knows us. Who understands us. And even loves us enough to disrupt us. So that we will bring our worries, our struggles, our fears to him. So that in doing so... He can assure us by his word. So knowing the struggles Abram is wrangling with, the Lord says to Abram, fear not, Abram, for I am your shield. God knows Abram is afraid, that he's feeling unprotected, unguarded. He feels insecure and unsafe about the circumstances and the situations of his life. And this has Abram's insides all tied up in a worried, fretful, and anxious knot. So the Lord gently comes to Abram, assures him with his word, saying to him, Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield. I am your defender. That greater than the protection of a son is the protection of your God. Therefore, I will be the one who will guard your going outs and coming ins. 
I am the one who will guide your path before you and I will be the one who trails behind you. The darts and the arrows of life may fly, but they will not and they cannot thwart my purposes for you. You see, the Lord, through his word, enters into Abram's struggle and graciously reassures him that he will be his hope in and through that struggle. Brothers and sisters, we serve a God who graciously enters into our deepest and greatest struggles, who through his word proclaims to our souls that he will secure us, he will see us through, and that with him our reward shall be very great. In fact, that's why he sent his one and only son, Jesus. The word made flesh to enter into this life, to enter into this broken world so that he might live a perfect and sinless life so that by his death on a cross, he might take on himself the guilt of our sin and give to us his righteousness so that by his resurrection on the third day, that he might give us victory over sin and over death. Because the greatest struggle of our lives is the struggle of sin and how it separates us from God. But Jesus, through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, has paved the way to God through the sufficiency of his own blood poured out for us, earning for us the reward of heaven the reward of eternal life with our Heavenly Father. And because He has graciously entered into that struggle with us and for us, we can trust Him to enter into and meet us in the various other struggles of our lives as well. Well, the first reason we saw from our texts that we can take God at His word is because He's gracious. The second The second reason we can take God at his word is because he is glorious. You see, our worry has a way of robbing our wonder. As we incessantly work the problem, we fixate on it. We gaze upon it through the microscope so that it can become all that we can see. And as our problem grows bigger and bigger and bigger, our God can seemingly get smaller and smaller and smaller. It becomes a canopy that closes in on top of us, consuming our every thought so that we settle for really, really small stories. And in Genesis 15, God finds Abram stuck in a tent of his own worries and fears when all the while he's living in the cathedral of God's glory. So the Lord comes into Abram's worrisome tents and reassures him with the glory of his word of promise in verse 4, that this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. The Lord was making a promise with Abram that his heir would be his own son rather than some distant man living in Damascus. And having given him his word of promise, the Lord takes him by the hand and leads him out into the darkness and invites him to look up and to count the countless stars shining above. He leads him outside so that he can behold the glory and the grandeur of his God. And brothers and sisters, 
Do you feel stuck in the tent of your own worries and fears? Does it feel as if life's canopy of worries is crushing in on top of you? Might I encourage you tonight, the clouds so allow, to take a walk in the darkness and to gaze up at the stars, to allow the heavens to declare the glories of our God down deep into the depths of your soul. Because we have a God who wants us to see and to sense the wonder of his greatness and grandeur. We have a God who in his unsearchable glory would stretch out our imaginations with merely the coattails of his glory. Because far greater than our worries is the greatness of our God. That though our worries loom and though our pain sears and though our struggles be great, our God is greater still. And he is the one who will meet us in our worry, who reassures us in our doubt, who comforts and sustains us in our struggle. And he is the one who will walk with us all the way home to glory. That when uncertainty and doubt plague our lives, that when life's trap door springs open, with God we have a strong, firm, and sure foundation. And we can be sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in conclusion, brothers and sisters, we serve a God whose word truly is sufficient for our worries whose promises are greater than our fears and whose truths are far more certain than our doubts. Therefore, our worries, our fears, our doubts, and our struggles are ultimately opportunities for us to look up, to look up to our God and to take him at his word. So will we, like our forefather Abram, believe the Lord? For as verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Practically speaking, nothing had changed. Abram still owns no land and he has no diapers to change. But his trust and his faith is anchored in the Lord his God. For he has a settled conviction about the character and the promises of God that though the stars may fall, his word will come true. So he believes God. He, as our text could better be translated, remains firm in Yahweh. And Yahweh the Lord credited it and counted it to him as righteousness. Romans 4, Paul refers to this passage reminding us that Abram's righteousness came not by merit nor by the works of his hands, but by faith in looking to and believing the Lord his God. 
For faith looks not within, but looks to and hopes in and believes in the Lord. And even that faith, as Paul would later say in Ephesians 2, is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Well, brothers and sisters, the life of faith then drives us to look up, to behold the wondrous mysteries of our God, and then to drill down deep into the word of God and to bring to the surface its great and glorious riches that we might behold the wonder of his grace and glory all the days of our lives, to be consumed by the fear of God, to be consumed with the fear of the Lord, that we might not be afraid of the things and the worries of this world. So by God's grace, will we look up to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask for or imagine? To my friends who know not this Savior, Are you beset by your fears? Are you befuddled by your doubts and bewildered by your worries? The God of glory has a gift for you, the gift of faith, the precious gift of the gospel, a gospel that by no effort of your own declares us righteous. So may I invite you to turn your eyes upon Jesus, to look full into his wonderful face, so that the things of earth and the worries of earth may go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in our worry, we have your word. So Father, would you help us as your people to look to you in our worry, to trust you, to take you at your word. So Father, would you help us By the power of your spirit, would you help us to trust you all the days of our lives? Father, I pray all these things now in your son's name. Amen.